0: Our Old Testament lesson comes from Psalms 3 and 4. The Psalms are always a great place for Advent, but when, you have a, a, when Christmas Day comes on a Sunday, then you want to make sure that your sermon series lines up so that you have a sermon on Christmas morning that might be... A, so Psalm 8 is a great Christmas morning passage. But if you think about how many Sundays we have between now and then, we're going to have to double up on two psalms in order to get there. So we're going to double up on three and four. And part of it is because they actually, the themes weave together really nicely in these two psalms, so it works nicely to go together. So we'll hear them both. Psalm 3, a psalm of David, when he fled from Absalom, his son. O Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, There is no salvation for him in God. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory, and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. And Psalm 4, to the choirmaster with stringed instruments, a Psalm of David. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts, on your beds, and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. There are many who say, who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. In peace I will both lie down and sleep, for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. This is the word of the Lord. You'll notice both of these psalms have to do with lying down and sleeping. And Children, have you ever had trouble sleeping? Maybe your leg hurts or your tummy aches, and you lie there in bed tossing and turning, calling for mommy and daddy. They may try to comfort you, but it doesn't seem to do any good. Or maybe you had a bad dream. And it just won't go away, and you just can't get it out of your head. Psalm 3, verse 5 says, I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. Psalm 4, verse 8 says, In peace I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Sometimes it's really dark. Sometimes you might even wonder, will I wake up in the morning? Will there be a morning? Well, there was a day for our Lord Jesus even who that ended when he lay down and slept when he died and was laid to rest in the tomb. But did Jesus stay dead? No. He did not remain in the grave. God raised him from the dead. And because he rose from the dead, and because he was raised from the dead, therefore the power of darkness has been broken. The light always now shines in the face of Jesus. And so in your dark nights, when you cannot sleep, remember our Lord Jesus who lay down and slept and woke again because the Lord sustained him. And that same Lord will sustain you. And that's where, even in the midst of those dark nights, call out to Him. I've often found that sleepless nights, while they're, they're never fun, they can be really good times of prayer and communion with God. And even though, yes, you'd rather be sleeping, we, yes, we all would, but those times of sweet communion with God in the watches of the night, it's a very, it may be a very unfortunate experience in many respects, but it can be one that draws us nearer to him. Our New Testament lesson comes from the Gospel of Luke, Chapter 1. Luke, Chapter 1, hear now the word of the Lord. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth, And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when the time of of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked upon me to take away my reproach among people. This is the word of the Lord. When the angel Gabriel says, Your prayer has been heard, what, what had Zechariah been praying for? We often assume that he had been praying for a baby because well, the next line is that Elizabeth is going to get pregnant. But there's actually nothing in the passage that suggests that Zechariah was praying for a baby. They had no child, he says. Elizabeth is barren. Now they are old. Oh, sure, years before, doubtless they had prayed for a baby. But that was not what he was doing when he went in to offer incense in the temple that day. When the whole multitude came together, when the people of God came to the temple to pray, what were they praying for? Surely they were not praying for this old man and his wife to have a baby. Surely they were praying something very much like Psalm 3. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. They were praying, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Things are not the way they should be. Israel is not living well in the land. Rome is oppressing us. Things are all out of whack. Please deliver your people, O God. Now, part of why I put Psalms 3 and 4 together is because these, these two Psalms cover much the same ground. Each psalm has complaint, confidence, trust, and prayer woven together in different ways, so it helps to look at them side by side to see how these things fit together. Also, the, these psalms share much similar themes and language. There's the language of sleep that we already have called attention to in verse 5 and 8. And there's the language of calling and answering in 3 verse 4 and 4 verse 1. There's a theme of the host of enemies who are seeking to destroy me. But my confidence, my trust is in the Lord who hears and answers prayer. And that is exactly what Zechariah is doing when he comes to the temple and offers incense at the hour of incense. And... In our psalms, there's a connection between memory and prayer. Remember what God has done. Remember that salvation belongs to the Lord. Because that that memory, that remembering what God has done, gives you confidence in your prayer. But then also, pray. Call upon the Lord. Indeed, as Psalm 4 points out, pray in the imperative mood. Answer me, O God of my righteousness. This is... This is not just a, will you please? This is a, answer me. That's an imperative. Do what you promised. If you have confidence in his salvation, then ask him to do what he said. And that's what Zechariah was doing when he came to the temple to offer incense as the prayers of the saints ascend to the throne of God. He came with confidence asking God to do what he had promised. And then when the angel comes and says, oh, but you're going to have a son, he's sort of like, oh, that's crazy talk. He believed that God would do what he promised, but that just sounds absurd. Does God's answer oftentimes sound absurd? Sometimes his answer isn't what we would have expected, what we would have liked. Actually, in this case, it's what he had longed for. And yet, when he hears it, he can't believe it. There are many times in life where we wind up in Zechariah's place. Psalm 3 is titled "A Psalm of David when he fled from Absalom his son." This is a psalm that reflects on on David. In a sense, we sing this song with the idea of remembering Absalom's rebellion and David fleeing into the wilderness. To hide from his son. We usually remember David as the king after God's own heart, but the central chapters of 2 Samuel reveal a time when David forgot. It started with David committing adultery with Bathsheba, murdering her husband Uriah. And God told David that he would in a sense, pay for his sin through the same sorts of things happening in his own family. But whereas David did it privately, this would now happen publicly before the face of all Israel. And that's what happens in 2 Samuel 13, how David's son Amnon raped his half-sister Tamar. And then Tamar's brother Absalom murders Amnon. And David didn't do a thing about any of this. And then Absalom gets restored and then rebels against his father. Bathsheba's grandfather, Ahithophel, joins the rebellion. David is forced to flee from Jerusalem. And in 2 Samuel 16, we hear of Absalom's triumph over David. And that's where Psalm 3 is located. David was the one who was supposed to succeed where Israel failed. The story of Absalom's rebellion reminds us that David was too much like Israel. It's it's not enough to think of Psalm 3 as David's prayer during the rebellion of Absalom, but also of Israel's prayer because of the rebellion of Absalom. After all, you might say David sings it for a generation, for, for a few years. Israel kept singing it over and over again because This isn't just about David and Absalom. This is about the problem that is at the heart of Israel, the problem that is at the heart of humanity, the problem that we still experience. Because salvation does not belong to David. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Oh, Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me, including my own son. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. Psalm 3 starts with David's complaint. A complaint is addressed to someone in a position of authority or influence who will be able to do something about the problem. You've often heard me say that we should be good complainers. not, 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 Not grumblers, not somebody who gripes about problems, not a gossip who tells random people about problems, A good complainer seeks to bring godly solutions to problems, so you bring your complaint to somebody who can do something about it. David's complaint in Psalm 3 is that many foes are rising against him, and so he brings his complaint to the Lord, to the one who is able to do something about it. Now, we know from the book of Samuel that David talked with many wise counselors as he tried to figure out his response to Absalom's rebellion, but Psalm 3 reminds us to bring the complaint finally and fully to the throne of, of God. Now, it's tempting sometimes to, to see these verses and, 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 and think of those people out there who, you know, who are complain about or radical atheists or Muslim extremists. Or, but think about our, the way our text talks. The title has told us to read this complaint in the light of Absalom's rebellion. So who are David's foes that he's referring to here? His son, Absalom, his closest advisor, Ahithophel, and his own people, Israel. When we think about our foes nowadays, we tend to think of people who are distant. But David's foes are his fellow Christians, the people who are closest to him. In such a time, both sides believed that they were following God. We, we hear the story told from David's perspective in the, the book of Samuel. But it doesn't take much to figure out what Absalom and Ahithophel are thinking. We know Absalom gained many followers by promising that he would bring justice. We know, even the book of Samuel admits, David's judicial system was flawed and slow he wasn't doing well at bringing justice to Israel. We know that Ahithophel was Bathsheba's grandfather. You could understand that he might be a little upset that David murdered off his granddaughter's husband. Maybe he thought that David had forfeited the crown because of his sin. And so setting one of David's sons on the throne in David's place would be the way of you know, making sure the line of David continues, God's promises to David will be fulfilled, and we're going to do this by getting Absalom on the throne. We don't know the details, but one thing is clear. There's no hint in the, the text of any idolatry or rebellion against the Lord on the part of Absalom and Ahithophel. Their rebellion is against David. So Absalom and Ahithophel are Christians, circumcised Israelites who, are, who think of themselves as faithful to God's covenant. And you might say, well, <laughs> whoa, whoa, treason is not faithfulness. Well, that's true. Neither is murder and adultery. So you can see, in other words, we got ourselves a mess in the church of Jesus Christ where things are not the way they should be. And that's the context for Psalm 3. Everyone in our story is flawed. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. If you're looking for the, the good, heroic, good guy in our text, in the, in, the, in, the, in the story of David and Absalom, it's not David. The reason why you're supposed to support David in this story is not because David's the heroic, heroic good guy who always does what's right. It's because, simply, God said, "You don't raise your hand against the Lord's anointed." That's why you should. It's the same reason why David had said he wouldn't go after Saul. That's why Absalom shouldn't have gone after David. But you're not going to find a heroic good guy in the story of Absalom's rebellion. Who is the heroic good guy that you can look to? Well, it's going to be Jesus. And, but even as you look at Jesus, think of the many who rise against him, saying of his soul, there is no salvation for him in God. That's what they said to Jesus. They thought Jesus, oh, see, if, see if he can come down from the cross. Yeah, right. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he desires him. Who are the ones who said that to Jesus? The chief priests, the scribes, the elders of Jerusalem. The same people that had rebelled against David are now the ones who have rebelled against David's greater son. The leaders of his own city, Jerusalem, have turned against him. His own disciple betrayed him, and the rest of his disciples abandoned him. So Psalm 3 suggests that we shouldn't be surprised when our fellow Christians let us down. Now, it's never okay, and we should always repent when we sin, but from the beginning of the scriptures to the end, we see believers doing things they shouldn't. Maybe you've experienced this even from family members. Maybe you've felt betrayal from those who are closest to you. Remember, Psalm 3 is David's prayer when his own son had turned against him. We need to remember also that that we are capable of this as well. None of us is immune. Our confidence is not that we are better than all these people. Because how often have we, perhaps, perhaps even unwittingly, because... So often, it's not that we're, we're trying to hurt other people. It's just we said something which we thought was true, but wasn't. And that hurt, and we didn't realize how deeply it hurt. And next thing you know, they're holding it against us, and it's like, it like, what happened here? I don't know what just happened here. So much of human relationship is there. But you, oh Lord, this is our confidence, You, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. My confidence is not in myself. When I am cast down and discouraged, it is the Lord who protects me, who lifts my head. It's not. My confidence is not in anything that I have or do. The Lord is my glory. I don't need all the trappings of power, riches and fame. I need Jesus. After all, our Lord Jesus himself prayed, and now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Even for Jesus, God was his glory and the lifter of his head. Verse 4 reminds us of Psalm 2. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. In Psalm 2, verse 6, we just heard last week that the Lord established His King on Zion, my holy hill. Now the King cries out from the holy hill and reminds us that the Lord answers us from His holy hill. What are you stressed out about? What are you complaining to God about? Well, Remember, when you bring your complaints to God, that all those complaints are addressed fully and finally at God's holy hill. We often think that, ah, if I just work, you know, if I just manipulate this, if I I could just sort of pull these little strings and I can make things work. Yeah, when we do that, we're, we're, we're saying that I'm the one who dwells on God's holy hill and I'm the one who answers all these concerns. No. This is why David prays. This is why he comes to God. You are the one who hears from your holy hill. All the plans and schemes of man are futile unless the Lord speaks from heaven. So put your confidence, your trust in the Lord. And that's why David can sleep. I lay down and slept. I woke again for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Absalom's army as it approaches. (laughs) If you are surrounded by, by thousands of enemies, an army of foes... I wouldn't blame you if you had a bout of insomnia. How can you sleep in the midst of trouble? Well, it's because our Lord Jesus first lay down in the sleep of death and was raised up by the power of his Father. He woke again. He rose from the dead because the Lord sustained him. Into your hand I commit my spirit. Now, it's true. Uh, Jesus probably did not sleep very much on the night when he was betrayed. He was being tortured, beaten, interrogated. I'm pretty sure they didn't let him have much time for sleep. But the night before, I suspect he slept very well. When you're having trouble sleeping, take that opportunity to draw near to God. Use that time to bring your complaints to the Lord, to praise Him for how He continues to protect and answer you. When you're bringing your complaint to God, don't whine. When you bring your complaint to God, it's, you're, you're coming to the one who hears. So this is where whining to God isn't actually helpful. Because when you whine to God, you're, you're not really trusting Him that He is who He says He is. So don't whine to God. Bring your complaint to Him. And the Psalms give you dozens of lovely examples of how to bring a good complaint to God. Praise him for how he continues to protect and answer you from his holy hill. And ask him to continue to do what he has promised. Because salvation belongs to the Lord. And that's where David ends his prayer. As he, he echoes the words of, of Moses. Moses had said in, in Numbers 10, when Israel set forth uh, from the camp, Arise, O Lord, and let your enemies be scattered, and let those who hate you flee before you. And now in verse 7, David echoes those words, Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. And this is where Jesus has succeeded where Israel and David failed. Because our Lord Jesus has, in his resurrection, he has been raised up and seated at the right hand of God. He is the one who now rules the nations with a rod of iron and as we saw last week that means that we also join him in his rule and breaking the teeth of the wicked uh, goes a step I mean striking the enemies on the cheek that's to strike somebody on the on the, on the face that's a that's a humiliating you know, slap in the face well breaking the, the teeth of the wicked goes a step further the wicked use their teeth to bite and devour this is not literal that's about words people use their mouths to destroy but the psalmist says that God breaks the teeth of the wicked not only are they publicly humiliated they are also rendered powerless no longer can they harm anyone and so Psalm 3 ends salvation belongs to the Lord your blessing be on your people only God can save only God can bless and bring peace to his people Psalm 3 ends with the same theme that Psalm 2 did and the same theme that Psalm 1 started with. Your blessing be on your people. Blessed is the one who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. but Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord's anointed. That's Psalm 1 and Psalm 2. Now, your blessing be on your people. God's blessing coming to his people because of the Lord's anointed. And Psalm 4 focuses on... If if Psalm 3 focuses on remembering God's salvation as the ground for our confidence in prayer, Psalm 4 sees prayer as the foundation for our confidence in God's salvation. It's basically the same themes woven in a different way. The psalmist has great confidence in addressing God. In Psalm 4, David says, Answer me when I call. This is an imperative statement. David demands that God answer him. How how can you demand that God answer? Well, how does he say it? Answer me, God of my righteousness. Origen, in commenting on this psalm, puts it this way. The one who calls on the Lord must have true righteousness. Since Christ is righteous, the just person, the partaker of righteousness, must be a partaker of Christ. If you are in Christ... If he is the God of your righteousness, then God has promised to hear your prayers in the name of Jesus. David remembers God's faithfulness in the past. You have given me relief when I was in distress, and so he comes to God with confidence. You are the God of my righteousness, therefore answer me. You see, this is this is the, the flip side of when I've I've often said that if we don't pray about something, then we're saying, I can handle this. I don't need God. Well, the flip side is, when you recognize that God is the God of your righteousness, that your righteousness is found in Him, then you can come to God saying, God, you need to deal with this. Your name's at stake. Your promises are at stake. This must be dealt with. It helps to come with humility, and David does as he looks because with the confidence that God will do what he promises, the psalmist turns to address those who wrong him. O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? Now, Psalm 3, the complaint was addressed to God. Now we get a glimpse of, and then how do you bring your complaint to, the, to others? How, in Psalm 4, the complaint is addressed to those who have wronged David. And verse 2 explains that the sons of men love vain words and seek after lies. The blessed man of Psalm 1 delights in the law of the Lord. Our problem is that we don't delight in in the law of God. Rather, we love vain words. We pursue lies. We chase after them. I love the way Augustine puts this. What are the lies you are seeking? I will tell you right away. You all want to be happy. I know. Find me someone who does not want to live a happy life. Let him be a a robber, a villain, a fornicator, up to his neck in misdeeds and crimes of all sorts. I know that you all want to live happy lives. Everyone does. But what is it that makes a person's life happy? That is something you are not all seeking after. You are seeking gold because you imagine you'll be happy with gold. But gold doesn't make one happy. Why seek after lies? Why do you want to get to the top in this world? Because you imagine you'll be happy with honor from people and worldly triumphs. But worldly triumphs do not make one happy. Why seek after lies? And whatever else you may seek after here, when you seek it in a worldly way, when you seek it by loving earth, when you seek it by licking the dust of the earth, the reason you are seeking it is in order to be happy. But nothing at all that is of the earth will make you happy. What you are seeking is deceptive. What you are seeking is lies. Do you want to be happy? And I will show you what will put it in your power to be happy. But know. Know what? Know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Now, the godly here is singular. The Lord has set apart the godly one for himself. Christ has come into our miseries He was hungry, he was thirsty, he was tired, he slept. He performed wonders, he suffered evils, he was scourged, crowned with thorns, smeared with spittle, slapped around and beaten, nailed to a tree, wounded with a lance, laid in a tomb. But on the third day, he rose again, all toil at an end, death dead. There you are. Fix your eyes on his resurrection. Would you be happy? Seek him. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Seek him. That I would know Christ and the fellowship of his sufferings. That I might be conformed to his resurrection glory. And so David says in verse 4, Be angry and do not sin. Remember the complaint here. There are these people who are are turning my honor into shame, who love vain words, who seek after lies. It's a good thing to be angry with those who do evil, with those who pursue lies. But in your anger, do not sin. Just because someone else has sinned against you doesn't mean you can sin against them. That's why the psalmist adds, ponder in your own hearts on your bed and be silent. Be silent. In other words, vengeance is mine, says the Lord, I will repay. If your anger leads you to take vengeance, that's not the path of wisdom. Instead, verse 5 says, offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. Paul explains to us what, what is the right sacrifice that we offer as Christians. Paul says in Romans 12.1, present your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Present yourself, all that you are, all that you have to God for his service. Jesus is the once for all sacrifice that has atoned for our sin and made us right with God. The sacrifice that God requires of us is simply that we deny ourselves daily, take up our cross and follow Jesus. Psalm 4 concludes with confidence. There are many who say, Who will show us some good? Who will show us the good life? Who will show us the happy life? And the answer is, Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. This language is drawn from Aaron's blessing in number 6. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and give you his peace. Because you have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. In peace, I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. In this life, you will not find true happiness. You will only find a picture of it. Because Christ came down and he took our bad things. He promised us his life. But what he did is even more unbelievable. He paid his death in advance for us. As though to say, I am inviting you to my life. Where nobody dies. Where life is truly happy. That is where Christ invites us. To the region of Friendship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit to the everlasting supper to be his brothers and sisters. Jesus invites us to his life. We are going to the happy, blessed life when we come to him who came to us, when we begin to be with him who died for us. Jesus invites us to the true feast to the everlasting supper, to a banquet more sumptuous and more glorious than any passing fancy this world could offer. Which is why John says, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. What we have in this life is always but a foretaste of that feast. What we have in this life, if, if you are aiming for some sort of happiness in this life, and if that's your goal, then you will not find happiness in this life. But when your aim is the happiness of the age to come, when your aim is to know Christ, then you will find all sorts of moments of happiness. True happiness, not just those little fleeting things, but, but when you participate in that, it's something that, in, in my experience, it's not every it's not every day that I experience True happiness, because true happiness is when we talk about happiness. The word "happy" is also the word "blessed," and that's part of the challenge in when you anytime you're translating from Hebrew into English. Is do you translate it "blessed" or do you translate it "happy"? Happiness for us has become such a superficial thing, but true happiness, true blessedness true life in fellowship and in communion with god is something that we don't experience all the time it's something we catch glimpses of it's something we participate in as we see the glories of christ and anytime we get sidetracked in our pursuits of happiness to use jefferson's term our pursuits of happiness in this life draw us away from the pursuit of happiness in our Lord Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. It's that classic conundrum that if you seek the side benefits of the kingdom of God, you won't actually find even the side benefits. But if you seek the kingdom of God, if you seek first Jesus, the king, then all these things will be added to you. Then you see everything else in its proper place in relation to Him. So let's pray and ask God for help in this. Lord, help us, because we too often are running after happiness, and yet we don't find it. In fact, we keep finding more misery, and we keep finding more conflict, and we keep finding things are not the way they should be. And we remember David and, and... when he fled from Absalom, his son, and we recognize that so often our relationships are more like that than they should be. Lord, have mercy. And hear our prayers. Answer us when we call, O God of our righteousness, because you alone are the one who gives relief when we are in distress. So be gracious to us. Hear our prayers for Jesus' sake and grant us your peace. In Jesus' name, amen.